This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 17th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. It's not much appreciated by the public, but the United States has deployed troops to several dozen countries over very short time frames very recently. In the case of Somalia's essentially invisible war, the U.S. intervention there has done little to secure any kind of peace. So says Bronwyn Bruton, deputy director of the Africa Center at the Atlantic Council. She spoke at the Cato Institute in March. In a, in a brief period of time, I would like very quickly to tell you the story of Somalia in the last 15 years. Uh, and it's a story, as our invitation pointed out, that is very little understood. It's little talked about in the United States, but it's nevertheless, I think, one of the most terrible tragedies of our time. And I want to start by telling you about Somalia on September 10th, 2001, one day before the terrible terror strikes that changed all of our lives. Somalia in 2001 was not a terrible place. There was an awful breakdown of Somali society in 1991. A military dictatorship that had lasted for many years collapsed. And there was a vicious civil war and a famine that killed hundreds of thousands of people. But by the beginning of this century, all of those things had pretty much ended. Um, The war had played itself out. Everything that could be stolen had been stolen. There were terrible bandit militias that were roaming the country. But for the most part, it was low-level violence, and people were living peaceful lives. Most importantly for the US, there wasn't a lot of radical Islamist activity. There had been in the 90s. It failed horrifically. Al-Qaeda had done its best to import some fighters and some ideologues. They had basically retreated from the country, cursing under their breath about everything from the bugs to the venality of the Somali fighters and the clans. Um, it, It was so terrible for them, basically, that West Point wrote an assessment Um, The West Point Counterterrorism Center, one of our most reputable counterterror analytic bodies, saying that at this time, Somalia was inoculated against groups like al-Qaeda. It was basically a no-go territory for them because their experience in Somalia had been so bad. Nevertheless, on September 12th, 2001, after the 9-11 attacks, the U.S. decided that Somalia couldn't be left alone. It had been left alone for over a decade, and it was slowly in the process of repairing itself. But the U.S. had an idea. Because of the Black Hawk Down incident of the 1990s, which we all remember, that Somalis held a particular malice towards Americans. And we also had an idea that any country that lacked a government, and Somalia certainly lacked a government in in the wake of the collapse of the Siad Bari regime. That any, any country that lacked a government would necessarily also be a security vacuum. And any place that had a security vacuum would necessarily become a terrorist safe haven. And so it could not be left alone. And so the US decided to galvanize Somalia's neighbors, Kenya, Ethiopia, and countries further afield to recreate a government for Somalia. And at the time, that probably didn't seem a big deal because there had been 12 previous attempts to create a government for Somalia, all of which had had failed miserably. But because the U.S. was involved in this attempt, it was taken more seriously by people inside of Somalia. And it immediately evoked a counter-reaction on the ground. When the Somalis heard that the U.S. had recreated a new government, which was based in Nairobi, it wasn't even in Somalia because it was so weak, 
a group of people started to assassinate anyone involved with that government. And it was assumed immediately with some justice that those people conducting the assassinations must have a radical ideology behind them. And so the US, seeing these assassinations, decided that more, in more engagement in Somalia was merited. And the CIA launched an effort. Um, it basically, it recruited a bunch of warlords, notorious warlords, the most hated and despicable people in Somalia, to do its dirty work and to start to capture these people who are conducting these assassinations. These warlords were not subtle about their relationship with the CIA, and they went public, basically, under the banner um, of the Alliance for the Peace and Restoration of Somalia. Basically, they decided to, um, to form a club. And the Somali people, seeing that these hated warlords were receiving funding from the CIA, revolted. And they kicked all of the warlords out of Mogadishu. It was, a, it was a public uprising against the CIA, essentially. Something totally unpredictable. Um, but in the wake of, of the destruction of the warlords' hold of Mogadishu, a, a new group arose, and the only group that had any capacity, basically, to serve a governing role. Um, by default, they took control of Somalia. And this was the Union of Islamic Courts. Today, we understand that the Union of Islamic Courts was moderate a grassroots governance movement that possibly could have done some good for Somalia. But at the time, unfortunately, the Bush administration decided that the Union of Islamic Courts was being run secretly by Al-Qaeda. There was no evidence to support that view. It was a mistaken assessment, we understand today. But unfortunately, it encouraged the Bush administration at the time to greenlight an invasion of Somalia by Ethiopia. Somalia's historical enemy. Ethiopia swept into the country. It destroyed the Union of, of Islamic Courts overnight. And unfortunately, it also decided to occupy Mogadishu in order to take this transitional federal government, which had been created in Nairobi by the international community, and to forcibly make it the government of Somalia. It was a terrible mistake. Um, it, within a year, a new group had arisen to combat this unwanted government. And that group was called Al-Shabaab, a name that probably most of us recognize today as the horrible terrorist organization that has perpetrated the attack on the Westgate Mall in Nairobi, which killed hundreds of people. Um, it has uh, perpetrated the attack on Garissa College University in northern Kenya, also killed over 100 people. Um, many signature terror strikes in Uganda. Uh, it, it's, it's a horrible organization. But it was born as a counter-reaction to the Ethiopian occupation, which again was the, unfortunately condoned and supported by the United States. Ethiopia was beaten out of Somalia relatively quickly. They were taking an unsustainable amount of casualties. But the US couldn't leave the transitional federal government alone in Mogadishu. And so instead, a African Union peacekeeping mission was launched to take over from the Ethiopian invasion. I hesitate to call this a peacekeeping mission because it wasn't keeping any peace. There wasn't one. And it, it was not designed to protect the population, which is what we generally think about when we think about a peacekeeping force. Instead, it was basically designed to create a cordon around the the transitional federal government, which was so hated and unpopular that it would have been destroyed if the Somalis had been left alone with it. Um, this peacekeeping force 
over the next three years was, according to local Somali groups, responsible for 95% of civilian casualties in Mogadishu. Al-Shabaab cleverly adopted a strategy of firing at the peacekeeping forces, and they indiscriminately fired back. Well, Al-Shabaab would use um, shotguns or AK-47s. The peacekeeping forces would use mortars. And so the rate of civilian casualties was extremely high. The number of recruits to Al-Shabaab obviously skyrocketed as well. And this produced a bloody stalemate in Somalia that lasted for over three years until 2010. At that point, the stalemate pretty much played itself out. And in July of that year, Al-Shabaab sort of miraculously decided to give up and left the city. There were a lot of hurrahs. Amasam tried very hard to say, hey, you know, we beat, we beat Al-Shabaab out of Mogadishu. But I was around at that time, and I remember that nobody was more surprised than Amasam when Al-Shabaab shouldered its weapons and walked out of the city that day. It's certainly true that Al-Shabaab had been under pressure from Amasam, the peacekeeping forces. But I don't, think there's any, I don't think there's any justice in saying that they were forced out of the city. I think the reality was that Somalia's clans got tired of the bloodshed, and Al-Shabaab thought that it would be better off finding a different strategy which included withdrawing from Mogadishu, as we say, although they left almost 1,000 troops and several training camps active in the city. A terrible thing happened in 2011, which was that there was a famine in Somalia. And that famine was largely blamed on al-Shabaab. And because of it, al-Shabaab lost most of its political support. Amasam also cleverly used the political blow that had been dealt to al-Shabaab um, to follow up with the number of military offensives, which were very successful. At the same time, they had done a lot of learning about the impact of their indiscriminate firing on civilian populations, and they cleaned up their act. So at the end of 2011, it looked like there was a period of hope for Somalia, and things could have gone much better. Unfortunately, the US dealt another death blow to the country at that point. Um, the Kenyan army decided to invade Somalia at the end of that year. And instead of resisting the Kenyan invasion of Somalia, as many experts, myself included, publicly urged the US to do, the United States decided to add the Kenyan forces to the Amazon peacekeeping mission, basically to start bankrolling Kenya's activities in Somalia. The result of that bankrolling of the Kenyan invasion, as was predicted by myself and other people, was that al-Shabaab immediately implanted itself into Kenya and began launching small terror attacks inside the capital city of Nairobi. Eventually, that translated into the major signature terror attack on Nairobi, which took place um, at the Westgate Mall. Now, today, we have a situation where a new stalemate is developing. Al-Shabaab is active throughout the East Africa region. Amasam is still inside Somalia, more than 20,000 troops, but far, far below the number of troops that would be required to actually stabilize the country. And so once again, we have a situation where Al-Shabaab is acting as a very powerful spoiler so, spoiler, so powerful that it can't be defeated. In the grand scheme of things, of course, it's very weak. The reality is that Somalia remains simply an ungoverned territory, where any group with a small number of fighters and a small amount of money can do a catastrophic amount of harm. But what it means is that there is no solution in sight. 
we have a situation essentially where a country that was more or less I won't say peaceful, but certainly not at war and certainly not at risk of joining the global jihad, 15 years later is now a country that has vast swaths of territory controlled by an al-Qaeda affiliate. It has international terror ambitions and it's seeding itself throughout the entire East Africa region. Essentially an outcome that you really couldn't imagine a worse outcome, basically, if you sat down and tried to design one. And I would emphasize in the broader context of our discussion that we didn't come here to this place because the U.S. was aggressive in its intervention. Unlike in Pakistan and some other places, the U.S. has not had a heavy military footprint in terms of drone strikes and the like. It's actually been quite restrained. Um, apart from a few early strikes, the U.S. has done its very, very best to avoid civilian casualties in Somalia. When it has attempted to kill terrorists. It has always taken pains to prevent Somalis from being caught up in the bloodshed. It's the only actor in the entire conflict that's done that, as a matter of fact. But nevertheless, the US has provided a cover and um, a legitimization of a regional ambitions inside of Somalia so that Kenya and Ethiopia have been allowed to run in and run amok in Somalia, and that's really what has done the damage. I would say the most damning part of this, in my view, is the fact that the United States has absolutely refused to learn any lessons from this effort. And instead of taking a hard look and saying, we've taken a country that could have been a success story in the region and turned it into an incubator for all kinds of horrible terrorist groups. And I would point out that the Islamic State is poised also to make an entry into Somalia at this stage. But instead of saying, you know, this happened because we used the regional powers as our proxies when direct action would have been better. Instead, we have now a new mantra that's emerged from the Obama administration, which has wholeheartedly embraced the Bush administration's mistakes. And that mantra is one of African solutions to African problems, a phrase that you may have heard. And the Bush administration Officials are calling this one of their greatest successes, and the Obama administration officials are calling this one of their greatest successes, and essentially saying, we want to take this model that we've used in Somalia, where we've imported Ethiopian and Kenyan and Ugandan peacekeepers, and we want to use it throughout the rest of Africa, which I would say would be an absolutely horrific mistake. Um, I don't see a lot of reasons for optimism as we look forward over the next few years in the Somali conflict. I don't think that the government can survive for 10 minutes without the peacekeepers that we continue, we American taxpayers continue to fund. And so unfortunately, I would say that, again, this is really one of the, the lesser known but greatest tragedies on our foreign policy spectrum. Bronwyn Bruton is Deputy Director of the Africa Center at the Atlantic Council. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.